This church has existed 20 years and it's looked a little differently. I was a little younger 28 years ago. And so I wasn't there. Some were. And I love how one thing remains the same. As church has moved through time, Jesus remains the center of the church and our love for people remains the center of our gatherings. And this morning is Mission Sunday, not Mission Sunday as we normally celebrate it when we uh, collect an offering for our mission partners outside of these walls. But today I wanna talk to us about what our mission is as a church. Why do we even exist? What is our purpose as a church named Cypress Creek Church? Why do we exist? Depending on your upbringing, that probably means different things. I think for the most part, a, a church exists, we think, or we grow up thinking, that it just exists for us to come, fill a seat, hear, some, hear somebody talk, give us some good things from this good book, and maybe be better people, and, 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 and encourage one another, say hi. But, but really, it's a once a week, maybe twice a week thing, and then we move on. That's what I grew up thinking church existed for. I, I just thought that God wanted a few hours of my time every week, and I was happy to give him a few hours of our time, and if, if, of my time. And, and I think if that's what we see church as, we miss out. We miss out on all that God wants for us individually and collectively. And I am Grateful that we as a body have made Jesus the center of our being and we have done, I'd say, a pretty good job at loving people. Not perfect, not perfect, but a pretty good job at trying to love people as God loves us. And so before I get into our mission statement, I want to talk a little bit about being original because that's what I saw this, this series called, we're going to be talking about loving God today, loving people in two, uh, the next two weeks, and then making disciples the weeks after that. But this concept of being original is important because we all have original personalities and quirks that make us who we are. And we as a church are also pretty original. We're not like other churches. We have our own personalities and quirks and issues and all that fun stuff that make us this imperfect group of people following after a perfect savior. But when we think about mission, the mission is also not something new that we create or a replica. We got to look back to the original commission, the original commandment that God gives us that really defines why a church exists in the first place. And that's what you do sometimes when you look for a mission. You go to the origin of things. Think of, you know, any business or, you know, you always kind of want to look at the history, see where it started. A few years ago, we went to Corpus Christi and we were hungry. We were on a road trip. There's only two places where you stop for food, at least as far as I'm concerned. Waterburger and Chick-fil-A. Where are my Waterburger fans? Who would choose Waterburger over Chick-fil-A? Okay, who would choose Chick-fil-A and only go to Waterburger on Sundays? That's what I thought. Okay, so Taylor and I are having this discussion. We choose Waterburger. Chick-fil-A was probably too far away, but you know, the, the, the 
my, my Wikipedia nerd alert kind of goes off and I remember that Whataburger started in Corpus Christi. So I'm like, let's go to the original Whataburger. And there was like six Whataburgers between us and our destination. And the original one was like all the way over there, you know? And so we're having this discussion and I'm like, come on, it'll be worth it. It's only a 30 minute detour. I mean, one hour total, it'll be fun. We have time to go check out the, I mean, this is where it started. And Taylor's like, can we please just go through the drive-through of that one right there? She's so pragmatic and practical. And, uh, we went to the original Whataburger. And we're at the original Whataburger, and it was the most underwhelming experience ever. You know if you've been there. It's just like any other Whataburger, except they have a statue with the owner, you know, right there. And I sat on the bench and hugged the owner and said, thank you for starting Whataburger. I don't even remember his name. And that's about it. So we missed out on what I was hoping was an inspiring, encouraging, enlightening experience. And, and, you know, two lessons there. One, listen to pragmatic advice in your spouse, men. And the second is that when we look at the origin of God's mission for his church, it is everything but that. We see that he has given us not only a simple mission, but it's incredibly deep. And so I want to dive in and talking about this mission. What is our mission as Cypress Creek Church? And then we'll talk about love. God, so the mission statement starts with the words of Jesus. Jesus is speaking to two religious elite groups in Matthew chapter 22, if you want to turn there. And, and Jesus has just addressed one of these two. There's the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees start arguing uh, to Jesus about the resurrection of the dead, whether it's actually, whether there's actual life after this life. And Jesus, you know, tells them, yep, there is. That's Jose's paraphrase, read it in Matthew 22. But then the Pharisees hear that, and the Pharisees, I see them all huddled up on, on, on the side, and they're all like, he just got the Sadducees. Okay, this is, our, this is our chance to get Jesus and establish ourselves as the ones with the most knowledge, with the ones with the highest you know, uh, accolade or achievement as the people of God, the true zealots, the, the ones that know God and are about God's business the most. They wanted to check off the list and prove to Jesus that they were the holy ones. And so they're huddled up and, you know, they're murmuring, how are we going to do it? What are we going to ask him? How are we going to get this guy, this so-called Messiah? And, and they push this expert lawyer. He knows the law. He knows the Torah probably better than any other of those guys. And he thinks he knows the Torah better than Jesus. Probably has most, if not all, of the 600 commandments, over 600 commandments that are in those first five books of the Bible, this Torah. And he asked Jesus a trick question. And he says, Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And here's where Jesus replies, and we're in Matthew 28, verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second one is like it, love 
your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus brings clarity and direction in simplicity to what the Pharisees thought was a, an impossible question to answer. But what Jesus gives us here is he gives us this mission. You want to know what the greatest commandment is? Do you want to know what makes God, you know, just joyful and pumped up? Love him. Love him. Make him the object of all your affection and allow that to overflow in the way that you love people. Because see, the more we love God, the more we realize how much he loves us. And the more we know God's love for us, then we're not competing. We're not comparing. We're not living life insecure, trying to, you know, make a name for ourselves. No, we know the name that he's given us. Son, daughter of the Lord Most High. We are more than conquerors in Jesus. We reign with Christ. And when we know that, oh, that frees us to love people because now we are loving people, not with our love, but with the love of the Father. Love God, love people. And that changes this mission of church being just about attendance just about coming and showing up and listening and, and doing the thing. That's your thing right here. No, do this. Do this because when we come, it's not about saying, God, look at what I'm doing and say, God, I am. It's not about attendance. It's about dependence. Saying, God, I can't do it without you. And I need to be fully dependent. Every area of my life, fully dependent on you. And we are expert compartmentalizers, aren't we? When we say, I'll just make faith this area, like Sundays, Wednesdays, maybe another night, I'll serve to, to go the extra mile. But then what are we doing in our homes and in our workplaces and in our friend groups and the way that we treat those that are around us, our neighbors? Where's God there? God says, I want all of you because I've given all of me for you and to you. So we love God and we love people. That's the mission. I'm going to go a little further into that, but first I want to go then to the second great, the great commission, Matthew 28. He's at the end of his ministry here on earth. He came, he died on the cross. He was raised again and the disciples were pumped. The disciples thought that Jesus was coming to rule once and for all, that he was going to bring heaven on earth. He was going to make all things new. They thought that they were literally in heaven. That's how the disciples felt. They're like, dude, you just left the grave. It doesn't get better than that. And Jesus replied, I'm going up. I'm ascending into heaven, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit down and I'm going to send you out. Imperfect people, you, you are going to be my body. You're going to be my hands and my feet. You're going to represent me as I work in you and through you to accomplish my mission on earth. And he says this in the Great Commission, Jesus' final words in the Gospel of Matthew. says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in, he in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end 
of the age. And so not only is our mission to love God with all that we are and love people the way that God has loved us, but also to make disciples. And that means intentionality. That means telling people what God has done in and through you in teaching them to obey, not some, but all that Jesus has commanded us and all that scripture points to. And if you're excited because you're like, okay, I'm about to get this list and I'm about to know how to check this off. This mission is so simple and yet it's so deep. It has an incredible depth because it's a journey and it's a process that we get to further as we give more of us to God every day that we live. So Cybersecurity Church, this is our mission, to love God, to love people, and make disciples. It's original and faithful to what he's given us. And that's what we're going to focus on as we move forward. We're celebrating 28 years of imperfect people coming together, looking at the perfect Savior and saying, God, I want to be dependent on you. I don't just want to attend. I want to fully be about you in every area of my life. And so my question to you is, are we ready to do that moving forward? Are we ready to continue the legacy that he's given here in his word and in our history as a church and continue being about what God says is most important? his original commission, his great commandment. Who's in? Who's in? Okay, good. So here's what I want to do today. I want to focus in on loving God because I believe that he wants to do something really, really special in this gathering right now. And so if you're falling asleep or the person next to you is falling asleep or at home, if you're hearing the rain thing, you're like, oh man, Sunday morning, just get a couple elbows because we're going to get our hands uh, into some Hebrew words, and we're gonna learn their definitions. We're gonna go to Hebrew school today, and we're gonna learn how to love God with all that we are. But first, let's pray. God, we thank you for 28 years of church called Cypress Creek Church. We honor those that have come before us, and we thank you for the way that they have moved and, and, and been used by you to accomplish your purposes here in Wimberley, Hayes, and in Texas, all throughout the world, God, the influence that you have allowed others to, to use and increase for your glory. And so, God, we ask for more this morning. We ask individually that wherever we may be in our walk with you, that before we leave this gathering, we would know that we gave you more of us as a response to you giving us all of you. And I thank you, Father, for the amazing privilege to be called your son and your daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. So loving God, it's so cool because Jesus, that wasn't an original statement that started there. He didn't pluck that out of, out of thin air, create something that didn't already exist. He quotes the oldest Hebrew text, the Torah, when he was asked that question by the Pharisees, that gotcha 
question. And he told them, he told them, and he quotes Deuteronomy 6. In Jewish culture, this is called a Shema. And the Shema is recited at the beginning of every day and at the end of every day. We actually, first service had someone with a Jewish background that almost, he said, almost started singing the little little, uh, song that I learned growing up, this Shema. And I said, well, can you stay second service and I'll give you a mic? And he goes, no, 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 I got places to go. It's raining, I gotta go. So, and maybe we'll get him to do it some other time. But this is huge in Jewish culture. And it's because it is so important. It's because it's original. It's so central to who God calls us to be. And so let's read it together. We're in Deuteronomy chapter six. The context is that Moses is instructing the people of Israel right before they enter into the promised land. So think about this. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Not everybody is going to enter into the promised land because of the amount of grumbling and complaining and how much they ignored God's blessings and instead chose to say, God, we want more and more and more instead of God, thank you for what you've given me. And so Moses is telling this new generation of Jews, don't be like that. Please learn from our mistakes. Change. And he gives us these words in Deuteronomy chapter six, starting in verse four, and then I'm going to finish in verse nine. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give to you today are to be on your hand, or in your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on this first part, but how cool is the second part? These commandments that I give to you are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your horses and on your gates. What does that mean? That means remind one another who God is. And parents, this is the best discipleship plan that we read in the scriptures. As moms and dads, we are called to be the primary disciplers of our kids. We have a kids pastor, a student pastor, and a college pastor in this house that are amazing. They play support system to you as mom and dad. As you teach your child, your precious son and daughter about who God is, talk about God on the dining table. Talk about God on the way to practice, on the way to dance. Talk about God in the mornings on your way to school. Allow him to be center, to be first. And this, this, this uh, write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Well, we did you a favor and, and printed magnets. So you may have gotten a magnet. If you're here in person, we have these magnets with the mission statement, love God, love people, make disciples. And if you are online, we're going to put a little box. Or if you're here and you want more, we'll put a little box. We'll put the box underneath a bench in front of the offices. And you can come at your leisure whenever you want. Take as many as you want. We have plenty. Put them in places so that they serve as a reminder of who God is and how he's calling us to live. So 
What I want to do is I want to take apart some of these important words that we read here. So we're going to learn some Hebrew this morning. Who's excited about learning Hebrew? Three of us. Thank you. The first word is hear, O Israel. So important. We cannot skip this word. This word hear is the Hebrew word shema. And shema is unlike our word hear. It's more like our word listen. Here's what I mean. Yesterday, my kids were jumping on the couch. So I told them, stop jumping on the couch. They stopped. Two minutes later, they were jumping on the couch again. And so I said, hey, why aren't you listening to me? Listening is not only hearing audibly, it's also action. It's responding. It's honoring the one who is speaking. So God is saying, pay attention to what I'm saying, but also trust me and do these things. Let's continue reading. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. God is near. God is with us. God is for us. This isn't some distant God that is waiting to see how well we behave in order to love. Uh Uh-uh. This is the Lord our God who took them out of Egypt, who has done miracles and miracles and miracles in our midst and still we choose to go our own way. And so he says, love the Lord your God. Love. In Greek, the word love is agape, and you may know that agape is one of four different Greek words of love, and agape really emphasizes selfless love. Loving one another with zero uh, consideration to yourself. Loving somebody unconditionally. That love can only be characterized perfectly by Jesus. And in the, in the Hebrew, that word is ahava. And that Hebrew word not only means physical affection, but a bond, a relationship. So the first time that that word was used, it was used when Abraham was asked by God to offer up his son, Isaac, whom he loved. So God wants that type of love, father-son bond with us. Ahava, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That Hebrew, that Hebrew word is lev. That's an easy one. Let's all say that one together. Lev. Let's all say that one together. Lev. There you go. Thank you. So in Hebrew, there's no word for thought or for mind. This word heart encapsulates our thoughts, our will, our desires, our affections. It's not only this part of our body, but it's really our feeling, our desires, again, our will and our affection. And there's a problem with our hearts. The Old Testament is super clear that we have defective hearts that need renewal. We have this thing called sin that we need to be taken away or or that word circumcised is used to symbolize that, that we need something someone to come and take away the sin of our heart. We need a new heart, writes David, created me a clean heart. And so when we read this word heart, love, it also speaks to our will, our affection, 
We need renewal. The, the third word is soul. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your love. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, nefesh. And this, is, this one's a little weird because it means throat. Nefesh is the word for throat. And so if you think about the throat, we need our throats in order to eat food and live. So our bodies need something to go through our throat and keep our bodies alive. So this is not just talking about the soul that lives within the body. This is talking about the soul and body as one. We don't have a soul. We are a soul. And that's what it's saying. Your whole body, whatever you put in your body, whatever your whole being, God wants all of it. And this last one, love the Lord your God with all your strength. Miot, miot. And this one's not a, not, it's, it's an adverb. And miot means very or muchness. In Genesis chapter one, we see this word when, in, uh, after God creates everything, he says that it is good, 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 good. And then what does he say at the last day? Right before he rests, he says that it was very good. That word very is this Hebrew word miod. And so God wants us to love him very. He wants us to love him very much. And as an optimist, as an extrovert, an external processor, this one gets me pumped up because it's saying that he wants passion from his people. He wants intensity in every area of our life. He doesn't just want us to Check the box and say, good, you went to church. Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't do that one bad thing. Okay, good, you're doing better. No, 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 no. He wants you very much as you are. Allow him in to every area of your life and love him with all your strength, passion, and intensity. 1 Corinthians 10.31 speaks to this. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And I want you to think about that. Whatever you eat or drink, we do that so often every day. It's saying, do the little things for the glory of God? Yep. Do the big things for the glory of God? Yep. So it doesn't matter whether you're pulling a snack out of the pantry or whether you're making a life-altering decision on maybe a job to take or to leave because of certain things, God wants in. He wants all of our affection. He wants all of our being. Love the Lord your God with your heart, with your will and affection, with your soul, with your life and body, with your strength, passion, and intensity. It is simple, yet deep. I think we're, we, we now understand why it's so Important that we continually remind ourselves that God wants us to love him with all that we are. Here's the thing. There is an enemy that wants to deceive you and me from thinking that God wants the best for us. That if we were to give God everything, that God's gonna hold out. He's not gonna give us his best. That he's gonna make us suffer. That he's gonna make us not, maybe not live the life that we would like to live. And the good news this morning is that we do not need to worry about 
what God is thinking about our lives when we know God, when we are in relationship with him. Because it is when we are in relationship with him that he teaches us and reminds us of these words, which I want to close. Worship team, you can come back up. It's in 1 John 4. Uh, um, I'm going to start in verse 7 and then close in verse 9. So dear friends, writes the apostle John, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. We can live all of our lives doing all of the good things, maybe being like the Pharisees, saying, God, but check it out how much I know about you, about your law. Check out how much I'm doing for you. We can live all our life going to church and missing out on the beauty of relationship with the living God. And the step that I want to focus in on today is this surrender, this reception that we get to feel when we say yes to Jesus. Yes as our Savior. Yes as the one who has rescued us from the punishment of our own sins, but also yes to our Lord, our master, every day. And say, Lord, I give you all of my heart today. I give you all of my affection, all of my thoughts, all of what's in here. I give to you my soul, my body, my life, and my strength. We get to make that decision. Yes, once and yes, every day.